This morning's scripture reading will be from the book of Titus, chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Be reading from the New King James Version. Titus 2, 1 through 10. But as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine, that the older men be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, in love, in patience. The older women likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. Likewise, exhort the young men to be sober-minded, in all things showing yourself to be in a showing yourself to be a pattern of good works in doctrine, showing integrity, reverence, incorruptibility, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that one who is an, a, who is an opponent may be ashamed, having nothing evil to say of you. Exhort bond servants to be obedient to their own masters, to be well-pleasing in all things, not answering back, not pilfering, but showing all good fidelity, that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. Apostle Paul was no stranger to the Roman penal system that was in effect during his day. In fact, Paul had been imprisoned at least twice. He stood in judgment on several occasions and he suffered the repercussions of Roman law at the hands of the government. Of course, after being released from his imprisonment, Paul visited the island of Crete. It is the largest island in the eastern Mediterranean Sea of the Grecian islands. Now, when it came time for Paul to leave Crete, he left on, his, on the island in his stead the preacher Titus. And Titus was shouldered with the responsibility to carry on the work Paul had begun and to correct some problems and some things that were wrong in the church there. The churches of Christ on the island were not organized in the way God wanted them to be organized. Now, whether or not they were uh, unscripturally disorganized, we're not told. But we do know that they needed to become organized, and that was one of the reasons that Paul had left Titus there. He was going to appoint elders in each congregation of the Lord's church on that island. The members... uh, of the church in Crete, they were being careless in their behavior. And so Paul asked Timothy to set in order the things that needed to be changed. Now that seems like a daunting task, doesn't it? After all, this is an island of people. There are several cities because we're told Titus was to work in every city on the island. So he had a monumental task at hand. Now, we're not told the population at that time of the people on Crete, but in today's world on Crete, it is an island of more than 623,000 people. So how exactly was Titus to go about doing this work left to him? Well, after giving the qualifications of uh, 
what, what an elder must possess prior to becoming an elder, Paul very plainly told Titus how to go about accomplishing this task. This is what he said. He told Titus, But as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine. Titus 2 verse 1. Titus was told to preach the truth much in the same way that Timothy was. 2 Timothy 4 verse 2. And many of the things that Paul wrote to Titus, he had written those same things to Timothy. Well, since that was the case, why was it necessary for the Holy Spirit to decide to include this letter also in the New Testament canon along with the two that Paul had written to Timothy? Not only did he write Timothy a letter that was similar, or Titus a letter that was similar, as we look at this letter, perhaps we see a little more detail concerning the message itself. Now when Paul wrote Timothy, he obviously spoke the message, he told him to preach the gospel, but he talked a little bit more about Timothy the individual. How Timothy was to take care of himself and how he was to live if he was going to be able to help others come to Christ. Now this word speak means to proclaim. The words become in the King James Version and the word proper in the New King James Version means appropriate. Things that are appropriate concerning sound doctrine. And the word sound in our text, of course, it means to be healthy. Literally, that's what it means. So not only did Paul command Titus to speak sound doctrine, he gave a little more detail. Paul to Titus addressed every individual in the Lord's church. Now he talked about three groups of people. We're going to notice those three groups of people. But within those three groups of people, each of us can find a place. Ultimately, correct doctrine will be seen in correct living. That is what sound doctrine will do. And for us to better understand that, Let's begin with the first group of people with whom Paul began. He talked to the aged. In the category of the aged, he first addressed men. He spoke to the men of the congregations. Now why was it even necessary to address the older members, the aged? Why would he do that? Well, first of all, they're a very important part of any congregation. They are, we might say, the backbone of a congregation. It is upon their shoulders that the younger members stand as they continue to carry on the works of the church. Secondly, they are a huge part of the population, aren't they? Some studies have said that by the year 2050, there will be 2 billion people in the world aged 60 and older. So it is very necessary to address the older people. The aged or older men mentioned, he's not talking about elders, he's talking about men of an advanced age, those who are mature. And he noticed, and I want us to notice, the Greek words he used indicate the aged men are to be the characteristics which Paul mentions. And he talks about some 
some characteristics and he describes some behavior that the older men are to be that. They're to be sober, grave, temperate, sound in the faith, in love, and in patience. Now those are very specific traits and characteristics to be found in the lives of the aged men. Sober means to be temperate. To be temperate. And that's also a qualification if one desires to be an elder. Temperate means to abstain totally from wine. Figuratively, it means to be sober in judgment. Of course, that is not necessarily what younger men always have, right? Younger men are not always careful. They sometimes are careless, and that will often accompany youth. Now that was an obvious trait lacking in some way in the congregations on the island of Crete. Grave means to be reverent. We are to be reverent in our lives. Frivolity is not becoming of aged men. They're to be reverent. Their actions are to be dignified, worthy of respect. They're to, <clears throat> excuse me, they, they are to guard themselves in every aspect of life such that the younger men ought to be able to look up to them and follow them, just as Paul said he followed Christ in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1. He said, follow me as I follow Christ. That way, he could be an example. Aged men are to be examples to younger men as they follow Christ. Older men are to be thoughtful. Uh, They should have learned over the years to be able to live in such a manner that they keep their thinking wholesome, their conversation pure, and that they can be respected by those younger than them. Now Paul demanded also soundness in faith and love. Now often we have hope added to that list, don't we? Faith, love, and hope. But Paul doesn't use the word hope. Paul uses the word patience. He wanted them to be sound or healthy spiritually in faith, in love, and in Patience. Why? Why in this letter did Paul use that word patience? Well, maybe it is that by the time we reached uh, we reached the age where we might be put into a category of aged, older, more mature, that we may need patience more. Maybe our patience is a little thinner than it used to be. Maybe we need to work on that. An older person may have high hopes of eternal life. They may have a reasonable expectation of gaining eternal life because they are following the plan of God. But perhaps their patience and endurance is lacking. That can often be the case. The older we get, often our endurance wanes, doesn't it? The things that we can endure at a younger age Perhaps we're not as easily, or not as easily endured at an older age. Also, older men know that, or should know, what they believe and why they believe it, right? We ought to be able to do that. We ought to understand sound doctrine. We ought to be able to say why we believe what we believe. And we ought to be able to show that. They ought to be steadfast in their lives, right? Paul at this time was an aged man. He had been around for a little while. He was mature. 
but he needed to be able to explain why he believed what he believed and, and why he wanted to live that way. I believe there's a problem in the Lord's church, and I don't think it's a modern-day problem. I think it is a problem that has existed almost from the very beginning. Far too many members are not able to give an answer for the hope that is in them. We're not able to give an answer like Peter demanded we were able to do in 1 Peter 3.15. When someone asks you why you believe what you believe, be able to give a scriptural answer. We talked about that in class this morning in the fellowship hall. We can't say, well, that's because mom and dad believed it, or I grew up believing that, or my grandparents believed it, or that's just all I've ever been taught. That's not a good answer. In fact, that's not an answer at all, is it? Why do I believe what I believe? Because the Bible tells me to. And I can show you where it talks about it. As we notice Paul addressing the aged, he talked to the men first. And then we notice that as he continues in his letter to Titus, he addresses then the matrons of the congregation. Sound doctrine must live in the lives of the older women. It's important. Just as the older men are to teach the younger men, that is what the older women are to do. They are to teach the younger women the things of God. Is there any better teacher in life than a life that has been well lived? I don't think so. What a great example. And, and what a great opportunity and a wealth of knowledge. But for that to happen... Paul said, first, our older sisters need to be sober-minded. They need to be able to uh, be reverent in their actions and in their thoughts. They have to be focused on the things that God wants them to focus. That's the keystone of Christianity, though, isn't it? Reverence in life and reverence toward God. When we have reverence in our lives, it will be reflected in our love for God. That's what Paul's talking about. Paul instructed Timothy how to behave himself in the house of God, didn't he? 1 Timothy 3.15 He wanted him to live reverently before God. That's what Paul's talking about in this context. The older ladies are to be sober-minded, to be reverent. What are exactly are they to teach the younger ladies? Well, Paul said they should be discreet and they should be chaste. How can you teach someone something that, you're, that you don't know yourself? You can't, can you? That's why the older ladies, having learned these things throughout their time in life, they are to teach that to the next generation. That's how we learn. It's handed down, right? They weren't to be drunkards. They weren't to gossip. Paul says, don't participate in those things. He understood that people who were not busy, people that had too much time on their hands, they could find themselves in trouble. And that's two of the ways that he addressed. Gossiping and drunkards. He said, not given to much wine. Well, exactly what does that mean? Does that mean a little wine is okay, so I can drink a little bit? That's being taught throughout the world. They say, okay, just a little wine means I'm not drunk, so therefore the Bible says it's okay for social drinking. Well, we have to understand what much means. What is much wine? Much means beyond what is acceptable, what is necessary, right? What is allowable? So what is allowable? Well, we, we don't have a, an explicit statement in the Bible regarding that, but we do know that Paul prescribed for Timothy 
to drink a little wine for his stomach's sake. Now that was alcohol wine. It was alcoholic. That was wine that had alcohol in it because he had obviously some kind of a bacteria in his gut in some way and it needed to be killed out. And so that's what alcohol does. So he said, drink a little wine for your stomach's sake. We see that in 1 Timothy 5.23. So anything beyond what is prescribed is much. Of course, in Paul's day, they used alcohol for medicine, didn't they? They didn't have local pharmacy. They couldn't go down and get an antibiotic to take for your stomach ailment. You had to drink something that would kill out that bacteria. They used wine. Now, fortunately for us in today's world, we don't have to do that. But we use the exact same way to determine what is appropriate and what is not. For instance, I go to the doctor and I have a cold and I'm coughing. And I did this not too long ago, a couple of years ago. I went and I was up all night long coughing, coughing, and coughing. Well, I would take over-the-counter cough syrup and it just would not... Uh, take care of it. So I went to the doctor and I said, Doc, the only kind of cough medicine that helps me has a little bit of codeine in it. So he wrote me out a prescription. He sent me home with some cough syrup with codeine and it worked wonderfully. Now that was prescribed to me. But how was I supposed to take it? Just as it was prescribed. So when I come in and and uh, I'm not feeling good or or I've got a little bit of a headache, do I just go to the cough medicine cabinet and get out the cough medicine and begin to drink it as however I want to? No, that's much. That's much. That's beyond what is prescribed, right? So when Paul is saying, do not be given to much wine, he's not saying you can't doctor yourself with alcohol during this period of time, but you can't go beyond that. I think that's exactly what he's talking about. He's not endorsing some kind of social drinking here. He's talking about being reverent. And if we're talking about being reverent, we can't be mixing the two subjects. He's saying how to be reverent. How reverent are we when we're engaged in imbibing alcohol? Well, not very. Anything beyond what is prescribed is much. In his explanation of what sound doctrine will do, Paul talked about the aged. But there's another section of people in the Lord's body of which we may find ourselves. He also addressed the adolescent. One of the things absent, I believe, in our culture today, especially in our nation, and it must have been absent in Crete as well, is the older women were to demonstrate and to train the younger women how to be wise. Now that doesn't go over well in our nation today, does it? That's not politically correct. But it is still what God expects. In that culture, married couples had to learn to love each other. Their their way of interacting was not what ours is today. They didn't quote date. They had, for the most part, arranged marriages. And so they had to learn to love each other. But in reality, doesn't that happen today? Don't we learn to love who we truly are? When kind of the new wears off, someone is married and the new wears off just a little bit and and then we begin to understand and we realize my husband or my wife really isn't perfect. They do have some, some flaws in their lives and I still love them anyway. 
You learn to love your husband and your wife. That's what these young women were, were supposed to be trained to do. The older women were to train them to do that. The young wife needed to guard her love for her husband. When we look at the interaction between newlyweds, uh, especially newlywed men, they have a capability of being thoughtless. They have the, the capability of saying hurtful things to the young wife and not even really meaning to do that. So she had to understand and she had to be trained to guard her love for her husband so it wouldn't grow cold. That was one aspect of learning to be a godly wife. Now when we look at wives and mothers, very few mothers and wives do not love their husbands or love their children. God called that natural affection, Romans 1.31. Now, perhaps in his letter to Titus, Paul was addressing another aspect of loving your husband properly. Perhaps he was talking about training a young wife to be able to discipline her child. No one enjoys that, especially a brand new mother. No one wants to have to spank their child. It may be that, that he was talking about the proper respect due the husband, the respect that he needed to have if he was going to be able to carry out his duties as a husband. Ephesians 5.22-24 What about the keepers at home? See, that's something that our world today is absolutely opposed to, to be a keeper at home. Well, what exactly does that mean? Well, older ladies, by the time they reach this period of time in their lives, they have learned how to manage a home, right? They've learned how to take care and how to train uh, their children. And they have been able to train other young ladies to be able to do that. Now, does that mean that a, a wife can't work outside the home? That she has to be some kind of a slave in the home? That's not what Paul's talking about. Absolutely. A woman can work outside the home. Absolutely, she's never to be a slave to her husband. And there's no harder job in the world than being a wife and a mother. But we have to be trained. Young women have to be trained to learn to do that, just like we have to be trained to learn to do anything. We also have to keep in mind that working outside the home does not relieve a wife or a mother, of her duties in the home. That's what Paul's talking about. He said the young wives were to learn to be good and obedient to their husbands. Now most of the time, husbands, we really enjoy that section. Good and obedient. Do everything I tell you to, right? Well, we have to understand what Paul's talking about. Paul is talking about being kind and in subjection to her husband. Well, what is that subjection? That subjection, Paul would later say, is the same kind of love shown to the person in subjection that Christ showed to the church. The wife is to be in subjection to the husband, but the husband is to love the wife, and Christ gave Himself for the church, died for it. Let me tell you, you will love the person and you will gladly be in subjection to the person who will die for you, won't you? We do it every day of our lives, being in subjection to Christ because He died for us.
We don't feel like we're being mistreated, do we? Subjection and slavery are two different things, right? Being in subjection and being mistreated are two different things. He's talking about being in uh, subjection in a godly way. Paul intended for younger women to be taught to honor their husbands and respect them when they were living in such a way that they were to be respected. Right? It's hard to honor and respect someone who does not fulfill his duties as a husband. And we have to keep that in mind. After addressing the young women, Paul then turned his attention to the young men. What were the older men to train the younger men to be? Wise. They were to be wise. Right? That would aid them and benefit them their whole lives if taught at an early age. So that's what we're supposed to do. There are too many foolish young men in the world today who do not accept the responsibilities of life. How many people do we know? I know several people. Young women who their husbands do not fulfill their responsibilities. I know a lot of young men who have brought children into the world and they have not fulfilled their responsibilities to that woman or those children. In in a lot of the cases, they won't even marry the mother of their children. See, they're, they're neglecting the responsibilities. They want all the benefits of that lifestyle without the responsibility of that lifestyle. Wisdom can be learned, though, and it can be taught in many different ways. When we read the letters written to Titus and the letter written to Timothy, we see less of Titus the exhorter and more of Titus the example. That's one way. Timothy was to exhort and teach those things, but he was also to be an example. But Titus, we we get the sense more of he's to live this way and that's his example. Teaching must be done both in word and in action. And we see that in Titus. Paul wanted the young men to be trained so they could be examples. See, we're talking about example here. They were to have a pattern of good works and they were to maintain a proper and a godly lifestyle. That isn't just known automatically. We have to learn those things, right? It's just like Christianity. Christianity is a learned religion. Judaism was a learned religion. The time during the patriarchs was a learned religion. God's religion has always been a learned religion. We're not just simply born with that knowledge. We have to be trained. But that's the role of the Christian, isn't it? To teach the gospel in the ways of God to the masses. Mark 16, 15 through 16. Young men needed to learn how to be dignified, reverent, not disrespectful and not mocking toward the older men, or anyone else for that matter. What about our conduct toward each other? Our conversation. Paul addresses the conversation that the young men have. It ought to be a a godly conversation. It ought to be a pure conversation, right? Young men are to build themselves a good reputation, one where they can't be condemned, right? What does that mean? What kind of application does that have for us today? Have you ever heard someone 
make an accusation or say something about someone you knew and you said, there is absolutely, I've known that person since they were a child. There's no way they would do something like that. And rightly so, we would feel that way, right? Now, at the, other, on the, at the same time, someone mentions something about another young man, but see, he's never had that reputation. He didn't build himself that reputation. And so when an accusation is leveled or a statement is made, we tend to believe that, don't we? Whether we have any evidence right before us or not. Now, they may be guilty, they may not be guilty, but because they haven't built a good reputation in being godly and being forthright, see, then they can be condemned and they can be blamed. And that's what Paul's talking about. He says, don't be that way. You recall when, when young Daniel, when his enemies tried to harm him and they wanted to, to get him in trouble with the king, they said, Daniel chapter 6, we can't find anything to, to accuse him of unless it, have to, unless it has to do with the law of his God. What a compliment for that young man. He had built himself a reputation. They knew that he would always be faithful to God and that was the only way they could twist that around and cause problems for Daniel. Paul spoke to the lives of the aged and to the adolescent. Now, we may not find ourselves in either category, but he also talks about attendance. Well, in ancient times, there were slaves and workers, weren't there? And Paul addressed that. He said, what were their actions to be? He said they're to be honorable. Just because someone is mistreated doesn't give them a right to be dishonorable. They still had to remain honorable. That's sound doctrine. That's what sound doctrine will cause to happen, right? That's what it will do. Someone obeys the gospel, they're in a situation they'd rather not be in, but yet they're still going to behave as a Christian. That's what he's talking about. We have to be honorable. Paul made no distinction between the Christian slave owner and the non-Christian slave owner. Paul makes no distinction in our day of the Christian employer or the non-Christian employer. We are still to be honorable in our interactions with those who have authority over us. Paul wasn't talking about slavery. He wasn't trying to endorse slavery. He's simply talking to the characteristics of the individual, no matter their situation. He said, you be honorable. You be faithful to God. And that's how that relates to us, right? Should there ever be a harder or a better worker in the country, in the world, than those who are Christians? No, they ought to. In every aspect of their job, they should be honorable. When we're asked to accomplish a task, what does the Christian do? Does the Christian try to figure out every single way around accomplishing that task or do they embrace the task and do it? We need more Christians in the world. The world would be such a better place. We're to work for our employers as if we're working for the Lord. Jesus said that we're to go the extra mile, right? Matthew five thirty-nine through 42. The behavior exhibited by the slaves in Paul's day and workers in our day has to be sound doctrine or the result of sound doctrine. 
And that's what he's getting at. It's designed to pique the interest of the employer or the master at that time, right? Try to understand this person's different. Don't we see that in the, uh, the letter written to Philemon? He sent Onesimus back to Philemon. Paul did. And he said, look, treat him like a brother. He's a brother in Christ. Don't treat him like a slave or a servant. See, Paul was denouncing slavery. Paul also admonished them to be honest. How many people who have been oppressed into slavery would pass up the opportunity to bring harm to the one oppressing them? Every Christian will, or at least they ought to. Joseph didn't try to harm Potiphar, did he? Genesis 39. He was being held uh, wrongly, yet he didn't try to harm Potiphar. The Israeli maiden who served Naaman, she was stolen away from, from her family, 2 Kings 5 verse 2. But in the very next verse we see that she instructed her master on where she could go, that there was a prophet in Samaria that could heal him. She wasn't looking for his hurt. Why? She was a follower of God. When we're Christians in today's world, that's what we do. Slaves would be tempted to steal, to harm in some way. I understand their mindset. doesn't make it right. But I understand where they're coming from. But instead they were to show faithfulness to God and to those who had authority over them. And that's how we're to treat those in authority today. That's what God intends. Even in the most trying circumstances, God expects us to always behave properly and to live as Christ would have us to live. That is what sound doctrine will do, if we teach it. When the words of Christ dwell in the hearts of the Christian, Colossians 3.16, we're always going to have Jesus in the forefront of our minds. And that's what God expects. He expects us to live in that way. We'll always choose to do the right thing, even when it's not convenient. Always try to... Explain to young people when, you, when you're looking for a husband or a wife, marry someone who is a Christian. I expect a Christian to always do that which is right simply because it's right, whether we really want to or not. And there's going to be times in this life when it would be a whole lot easier to simply turn our heads and leave the situation. That's not what the Christian does. And that is what sound doctrine will do. It will teach us to always do that that God wants us to do. If you've never obeyed the gospel, sound doctrine tells us that we have to have a belief in Christ. We have to believe that He came into this world, that He lived a perfect life, that He died a death that He should not have endured, that He rose from the grave, He ascended back into heaven, and He's sitting at the right hand of the Father. The power position... As we speak, we have to repent of past sins. That's what Paul told, or Peter told those on the day of Pentecost, Acts 2.38. That's what he preached in his very next recorded sermon, Acts 3.19. Repent and be converted. Confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Let the world know we believe that. That's what sound doctrine will do. We'll live that life. We'll be immersed in water for the forgiveness of sins. We'll come up out of the the grave of baptism, and then we will walk in a new life. We're a new creature. That's what sound doctrine will do. And then we'll live a faithful life, bringing others to Christ and living in the way that He wants us to do. 
Sometimes we get off track with that though. Sometimes we become unfaithful for whatever the reason may be. It may be a public sin or a private sin, but how do we address that? We repent of the sin, we confess it to God, whether publicly or privately, whatever is necessary, and we ask Him to forgive us. Confession, repentance, and prayer. That's how we come back to God after having obeyed the gospel. If you have need to answer this Lord's invitation this day, let that be known as we stand and as we sing.